I thought we'd start things off a little bit light today. Um, tell me about your philosophy on life. Oh, oh okay. Well, uh, <laughs> you look so confused. I'm, right now. Well, I'm standing at a crossroads of answer seriously or don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, up to you. Okay. Well, I've been working on polyvagal theory. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's it's your your response system. You've heard of like you know panic attacks and that kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Um, it uh, kind of breaks down your response system into. Uh, rel- I'm I'm going to paraphrase for our audience, which I assume are not mostly psych majors. I, last I checked. Yeah. Well, anyway, part of that is neuroception, where the way you perceive things, your brain's like, oh hey, that a good feeling or that's a bad feeling and one of the things that they ask you to do is like when you're in this state how do you feel about the world so like if i'm in a the the highest state the the calmest state um how do i view the world how do i view myself how do i view the world i'm like pretty apathetic to it actually Hmm. which i think is really interesting because when i'm at my lowest which is like post panic attack and i'm in like a deep depression i also don't care about the world but in a completely negative way Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It's real Lovecraftian. The universe doesn't care about you and you don't care about it, but I'm okay with it. Or I'm not okay with it. There's not really an either. There's not really a middle ground on that. There is. There's the middle. Oh. Which is. (laughs) (laughs) There is, Joe. It's called the middle ground. Oh, well, fuck. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, You can't ask me shit like this, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um. Well, okay. Let's say let's say you were to sum up your uh, your your philosophy on life into sure. like a like a couple of pithy sentences, like a a, a creed. Let's say, we, God damn it, we we exist in an indifferent universe. That's it. Well, it's indifferent. It doesn't. There's nothing else to talk about. It's hmm. indifferent. I, I would make one. Uh, I, can I make one suggestion change? No, it's my creed. No, no, no. no <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, it's just a suggestion. You don't. You don't have to take it. <laughs> We live in a different universe. Yeah. Treat yourself to good cheese. Joe, I can't eat cheese. <laughs> nah, fuck. <laughs> Joe, I this forgot. universe sucks. I've seen, I've seen you eat pizza so many times. Right. I forget sometimes. I crown bunch of like lactate pills in my face. <sighs> That's right. Um, I know. Maybe the know. universe isn't so indifferent. It hates me. <laughs> my inability to eat cheese. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I'm just sad. Let's start the episode. I'm sorry, everybody. Welcome to Derazzled, the show where we take award-winning worst films and try to fix them. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Nealis, and with me, as always, is also host Jack Culbertson. Hi. Welcome to part two of our little Freaky Friday experiment. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am taking over a full episode here, and I'm I'm going I'm to fix the movie this time. I'm curious uh, how, how you feel about the process now that you've gone through it. Um... You know, it's interesting. It's you have to think about it on a deeper level than I'm used to thinking about mm-hmm. it, and the approach is 
like the approach is way more thorough than I'm used to doing because I'm used to like thinking deeply about the movies, but mm-hmm. I'm not used to. I, I'm more used to seeing like I can't wait to see how Jack fixes this, since you're the one who has actual screenwriting experience. <laughs> Here and there, yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas like I have done playwriting, I've done I've done fiction writing, I've done poetry writing, I've not done screenwriting, so it's not. Yeah, you know, it's not. It's not, not like, quite the same. It's but... not quite. Yeah, it's not quite the same. It's a different. It's a different like kind of mode of thought. But I feel like all the episodes of this show that we've done so far have been pretty good training for it. So it was. It's a unique challenge. I, I've. I've. I've, uh, I've enjoyed it. Now you are the master. There we go. There. <laughs> I hope you fixed it real good. So uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, so to, uh, today we're going to be talking about 2016's Assassin's Creed. Much like Jack did earlier this season with Caligula, this is one for me. I've always wanted to kind of tackle this one, dig into it, and try and fix it a little bit. And uh, this is a prime opportunity to do so, and also to make Jack watch and or play Assassin's Creed. <laughs> I tried. I tried. You did. You did try. Um, so... What was your experience with the Assassin's Creed franchise before uh, we we decided to jump into this? Next to nothing. I was aware it was a, a game franchise, and I was aware that they had made a movie that people pretty much instantly forgot about. Um, I think yeah. people were pretty excited about it when it was first announced. They're like, oh, Michael Fassbender? I, I was thrilled. Yeah, if you're not familiar with the film, yeah, it came out in 2016, directed by Justin Kurzel, starring Michael Fassbender, Marion Cotillard, Michael K. Williams, rest in peace, uh, Ariane Lebed, and Jeremy Irons. Uh, so, yeah, I, I know as a fan of the it's series. A cast. It's a really good cast. Yeah. It's like a stupid good cast. Yeah, I, I was pumped about this from the minute that it came out because I've been a fan of the series since its release. Uh, the first game came out in 2007, which um, how it's how that old? It's that old, oh, yeah. Man. Which uh, how how into video games were you in 2007? Um, I was I was in college, so that was uh, none. No, see, like undergrad, I very I played very little. Video see, games. I was also in college at that time, and I was very ah. <laughs> uh, and. Like this year, this year was just like a, like a, a laundry list of just incredible games that made a huge impact on uh, on the entire industry as we know it. What what system was that, or what systems? What generation was that? Uh, that was uh, the Xbox 360 and PS3. Three? Yeah. Okay. So I th- I forget if that's like the seventh generation of consoles or I don't know the numbering yeah. of that all, all of that gets really nebulous in my head but uh, yeah this is the same year that Bioshock Mass Effect Portal The Witcher and Rock Band oh, all came out uh, and also Clive Barker's Jericho what <laughs> yeah Clive Barker made a video game <laughs> it's, um, it's bad right I have no idea okay. I've never played it uh, maybe that maybe we'll do that for bonus content oh, sometime I kind of want to play it. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll find a copy somewhere. I'm okay. sure the exchange has it or something. But yeah, when they announced this movie, I was absolutely thrilled and made sure I got out to, to the uh, the Indiana Theater uh, at the Indiana Mall up by IUP to uh, to see it. Uh, and I found myself disappointed uh, at, at, at the time. Um, I had no expectations going in other than the, the general agreement that most video games don't adapt well to film most not all sure which that's a that's a thing we'll be discussing at some point (laughs) great so i didn't i didn't hate it it was it was like it's whatever we've watched shittier films oh we've watched much shittier films jack good (laughs) lord (laughs) 
the, we uh, we just had to invoke the name of the emoji movie again in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I I didn't like it, but it was I've I've been hurt worse. Honestly, I liked it a lot more this time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, I actually enjoyed it much more thoroughly than I expected to this time, which I don't know if it's just I've become a much more patient viewer mm-hmm. uh, than I was in 2007 or or what. But Maybe adjusted expectations. Sorry, 2000, in 2016, rather. Yeah. Um, but I guess, I guess there, there are some... Hmm. I guess we're watching it under very weird circumstances as we're yet again approaching a an election where Donald Trump might become president or is at least trying to run again. But <laughs> there are people that think he's president right now. So. Yeah, there yeah, there sure are. Yeah. yeah. Then mean but then at the same time a lot of those people are also cheering on Ron DeSantis who yeah. had probably the most miserable campaign launch that I think I've ever seen last <laughs> I didn't night. Watch it, but I was pretty happy about it. I've that seen line. some bits and pieces okay. of it and it, it's just hilariously bad like the, the embarrassment i have for everyone involved with that wow i kind of want to watch it <laughs> enough about that though we're yes. dancing we're dancing around the thing that we're that we want that we're actually going to talk about here today and that is uh an adaptation of a video game into a film so uh jack do you have a i don't want to i don't want to do the kissinger thing again because we made that joke already but what Ooh. what should what should i be running from as i do this this uh this synopsis well how how about uh the um I'm trying to think of like a really bad movie video game adaptation hmm. um which i i generally don't watch the oh blood rain fuck <laughs> <laughs> what what about blood rain what from blood rain i'm just going to play the movie blood rain okay oh, the entire <laughs> damn it all right now i have to look up where the fuck to find blood rain and if it's three hours, you're just going to have to sit through three hours of blood rain. I will die. I, I, I will. <laughs> you, you will watch me choke myself with a mic cord. I don't think that's one we scheduled for next season. I yes, it we, is. Oh, is it? Uh huh. We joked about it. I didn't know if we had committed it. I well, I was serious about it. <laughs> we'll take another look at the schedule. Okay. It's fine. I. I'm starting to realize that the longer we're friends and more friends with our friends, the less our jokes are jokes and they're just <laughs> plans for the future. It's funny how that works. Yeah. So. <laughs> I found the trailer. Yeah. That's about that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I'll just give I'll give you that. Okay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael Madsen like got excited. Michael Madsen? Oh Jesus Christ. I forgot he was involved. They dragged yeah. poor Michael Madsen into that. Okay. So we're going to play a game called Pavlovian Blood Rain, <laughs> where I have five minutes to get through the synopsis of Assassin's Creed, and if I don't make it, Jack is going to torture me by playing the trailer to Blood Rain, a film by Uwe Boll <laughs> that we'll be talking about eventually at some point. Oh, I should have just went with Kissinger again. It's a weird phrase. I, it's a thing that I never wanted to say. Um that I actually, you know what, now that I've said it, I regret it and I take it back. Uh, do you have a timer? I, I just pulled one up on the YouTube. Beautiful. Okay. Oh, count me in, Jack. All right. Three, two. Nothing is true. 
everything is permitted. But translate into, that into Spanish, please, because I only minored in the language in undergrad, and that was over 10 years ago. We open on an assassin's initiation ceremony in 15th century Spain, where assassin initiate Aguilar de Nerja, played by Fassbender, recites the, the creed and has one of his ring fingers ceremonially chopped off to fuck off... Sorry... Ceremonially, ceremonially chop the fuck off to provide clearance for his hidden blade, or, if you don't understand the lore, gives him a, re- a needlessly distinctive scar that his enemies might notice. We then cut to a young boy in 1986 Baja, California, struggling to do some sick BMX stunts before going home to see his mom dead at the, ki- at the kitchen table and his dad wielding a bloody blade on his wrist, telling him to get the fuck out before the government or whatever comes for them. The government or whatever comes for them, and young Callum Lynch BMXs out of there with Patsy Klein's crazy on the wind. <laughs> Fast forward 30 years where Cal has grown into his full fastbenderness and is about to be put to death on his birthday for the crime of murdering a pimp, a detail that is never explored again or explained any further. But wait, he's not actually executed. His death is faked so he can be brought to the Abstergo Foundation facilities in Madrid. Cotillard's Sophia Riken explains to him that they are attempting to cure the world of the disease of violence and that Cal's ancestry may hold the key. Using a device called the Animus, Riken and her team are able to tap into Cal's genetic memories to track down an ancient artifact known as the Apple of Eden. The Animus allows Cal to see the experiences of his ancestor, uh, uh, assassin ancestor Aguilar, giving him the dynamic range of motion to experience Aguilar's very movements as though he were playing a video game, or as if he were really doing them himself. The experience of of being technologically placed into the age of the Spanish Inquisition causes Cal to hallucinate Aguilar's presence in the present day, a fun little bit of instability known as the bleeding effect. Cal becomes the awkward new kid at school as several other test subjects who apparently couldn't help Abstergo find the apple try to gauge what his whole deal is and whether or not he's going to help Riken. Michael K. Williams' Musa, descendant of an 18th century Haitian assassin named Baptiste, says some cryptic shit and attempts to introduce the rest of the kids at the cool table, but they're too skeptical of Cal's nerd ass. Instead, probably to the other assassin's chagrin, Cal gets closer to Sophia when he learns her mother was also killed by an assassin. Cal is brought back into the Animus uh, for a session to find Aguilar has been captured and chained up in a public square as part of an auto de fe at the hands of Templar Grandmaster Tomas de Torquemada, played by Javier Gutierrez. Cal and his companion Maria make a badass escape, tr- uh, ending in a leap of faith from the atop a church that stresses Cal the fuck out in the present day, causing the Animus to glitch and paralyze him, which Ubisoft might want to release a patch to fix. Sophia uh, learns from her father, Jeremy Irons' Alan Riken, that the Templar Council that controls the Abstergo Foundation has pulled their funding because they've basically already won, and people just don't give a shit about their civil liberties these days. They need to try to force Cal back into the Animus to find the apple, like yesterday, unless they want this whole undertaking to be for nothing. Sophia thinks this is all a bit suspicious, since curing violence and quashing people's autonomy and free will are very different things and and may call her understanding of the project's goals into question. Once Cal's paralysis gets better, Alan Riken reveals that his father is actually here in the facility. He takes Cal to confront Joseph Lynch. Oh shit, they brought Brennan Gleason into this. During which Cal learns that his mother was actually an assassin and willfully gave her life to prevent Abstergo from getting any secrets out of her. He also tells Cal that, she will, that he will acquire Aguilar's abilities through the Animus, a silver lining of the bleeding effect. Cal doesn't really give a shit about that last bit though and says, fuck you dad, I'm gonna help Abstergo get the apple and destroy the assassins. He stomps off to jump into the Animus instead of killing his dad. Cal steps into the into Aguilar's memory of tracking Torquemada as he tries to extort the Apple of Eden from the Sultan 
Sultan Mohammed XII, re, uh, revealing that Aguilar sent the apple away to the New World in the hands of not at all historically dishonest friend of the assassins, Christopher Columbus, who then takes it to his grave. Another leap of faith causes the Animus to experience an immense power surge, revealing to Cal the extent of his assassin heritage, including Ubisoft shoehorning in one more attempt to get us to care about Assassin's Creed Unity, causing him to attempt or to accept his heritage and the Creed just in time to help the other assassins riot and escape just before Alan Reichen can purge the facility. The Reichens claim the apple from Columbus's tomb and bring it to London, the London headquarters of the Templar Order to do a big elaborate flash, uh, fashy cult thing, but Cal and the other assassins crash the party and individually sneaking components of a modern hidden blade, allowing Cal to murder Alan Reichen and claim the apple before fleeing with the other assassins, but not before saying some cryptic shit to Sophia that she probably does understand means I'ma kill your dad, but she doesn't stop it. Instead, she swears revenge and security and order security to track down Callum Lynch, who stands on a rooftop with his new friends looking out toward a sequel that was never permitted. Damn, very nice. You've you've been saved from Oh, thank bold. God. Uh, I genuinely got worried when I tripped up at that yeah, one point. Start when but... I when I rehearsed this, I came in at four minutes and fifty six seconds. Oh, <laughs> you, you have thirty two seconds left. Oh man, I yeah, read a lot yeah. faster this time. Okay, I hope that's at all intelligible <laughs> to anyone who was listening. I tried to enunciate. <laughs> I was trying really hard to enunciate clearly there. I was impressed Woo! with the number of s- Spanish names. I think that you were able to nail. Um, there were a couple. I mean, Aguilar's yeah. full name uh-huh. and uh, Torquemada's full name. What What was the uh, execution scene called? Oh, the auto de fe. Yeah, yeah. So that's just like the public uh, um, burning of of heretics. Okay, basically. Gotcha. So, um, like when when um when Alan Reichen goes to visit with the uh, with one of the Templar High Order or whatever, mm-hmm. there's a painting of that exact scene it, like on the wall there. Right. Uh, and it is uh, yeah, it was a thing that was carried out fairly frequently during uh, during the Spanish Inquisition. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. It actually uh, did clear some stuff up because I – uh, I watched it once, and then I kind of watched it last night while we were working on stuff. Yeah, you were you had you had other things you were specifically focusing yeah. on, though. That was more on for my benefit. <laughs> um, but uh, it sure was. There's so much plot in this movie. It it is. It's pl- it is definitely plot heavy. Um, which is not surprising to me, just because. <laughs> Like these these games are typically have a lot going on in them, especially in the the memory sections, like the stuff that's mm-hmm. happening in the past. Uh, but then there's also the overarching framing narrative that's happening in the present that you have to and and this does I think it does a pretty good job of balancing that and making sure that one is not overwhelming compared to the other. But it's also still a lot of information to yeah. to, to take in. Like it's pretty easy to forget about what the fuck Aguilar is even doing. <laughs> I, d- I have many questions, and I don't know where it would be appropriate to ask them. Um, just go for it. Okay. Yeah. Great. Because uh, as we established, I tried to play the game, and uh, embarrassingly, you came in and beat the part I was stuck on. So I, I will say that the the parkour controls for the Assassin's Creed series have grown and developed over time. I, w- I was trying to get Jack to play Assassin's Creed 2 because, one, if you've if you have played one when it originally came out, you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. And if you uh-huh. go back and play one like now, it's trash. It's like an <laughs> unplayable, hyper repetitive garbage. Uh, at least in my opinion, that's a, li- a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. I've, yeah, uh, I've gone back and played like PS1 games. I'm like, oh, I love this. Yeah. yeah. And, if, and then you go back and you're like, oh, wow, yeah. this is rough. Like just mechanically, visually, all that. 
but Assassin's Creed 2 is like one of those games where they took all the good stuff mm-hmm. and got rid of all the bad stuff. Which good, good for them. which well be like Mass Effect did the same thing. It's like those like those games that came out in two thousand seven. Like those are two of the biggest mm-hmm. franchises, and they also had like the biggest glow up in their sequel. They learned it's, from their mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And then committed a bunch of other ones later on. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, what what other what other questions do you? Or, or sorry, you haven't even asked any questions no. yet. What questions no. do you? Have? <laughs> I didn't get to the title screen. <laughs> I didn't even That's get past the tutorial. True. I. Yeah. It's so embarrassing. It, hey, it, it, yeah, that's not. To, to be fair, this is not your typical style of it's game. Not, like, it's not. Like, yeah, like you're you're more of like a spelunky and mm. left for dead kind of guy. I I do a lot of like survival horror. Yeah, um, this is not that. No, no. The yeah. Anyway, um, did you ever play Prince of Persia? Uh, that was another one I hated. Because okay, of yeah, the game mechanics. That's the, this. This series is literally descended from that, which I'm going to talk about a little bit. But uh, yeah, that's probably explaining that, a little yeah, bit of how it, makes, how you clash with it. Yep, I I remember rage quitting that almost immediately. Yep. Huh. <laughs> Fair enough. Weird. How in the games? Mm-hmm. So the story in the movie is it based on any of the games? Not directly, no. Okay. So it is it, it is its own unique story. Uh, I, I I'll talk about that a little bit more gotcha. uh, okay. um, as um, we get into it here. How much of the game are you playing inside the history part versus? So in the games, it's typically the inverse of what we saw in the movie. So the movie was mostly present day, mm-hmm. and you had the little tidbits of the stuff in the past. The games. Uh, you have like there are some things you do in the present day, uh, at least in most of the games, mm-hmm. uh, and then the majority of the story is what's happening in the past. Like that's the big important thing, and like each game in the series advances the present day framing narrative in some way. Okay, um, but like it, it's like always kind of incremental, whereas you have like a full sweeping narrative that takes place in the past that you that you go through. Like yeah. like the original Assassin's Creed. Is following the story of um, uh, an assassin known as Altair Ibn Alahad, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, I believe I believe is tra- uh, translates to "son of no one" or something along those lines. I for- sure. I forget. I don't I don't speak the language. Huh. Uh, but he, he like the game opens with him on a mission. He fucks up and gets another assassin killed, and his and and his mentor uh, demotes him to like. Uh, like a novice rank and says, look, you're going to need to prove yourself again. Okay. Here are nine targets that you have to track down and kill. And eventually it, it, it sets the stage for, uh, he goes and travels through the Holy land mm-hmm. and encounters a bunch of Templar knights. And that is, it, it sets up the assassins versus Templars conflict that's taking place. And then also helps you kind of learn like the parkour and the, like the mission style and like get used to murdering people more gotcha. or less. And then climaxes in him in you realizing, oh, my mentor was actually or like pulling all the strings behind the scenes the entire time. He's like a double agent or something. Right, right, right. So then you have to go and fight him. So in in the movie, it appeared that when they hook up Mikey Fassbender to this machine, yes, the claw, <laughs> he's he's kind of just doing like a dance dance revolution type thing where his body's reacting to the past so he has no actual real effect on the past no no he's not impacting the past at all so it's essentially like you're put into a your ancestor simulator more or less Mm -hmm. so you are the idea is that you are supposed to be synchronized with them 
So what you're experiencing, what they're all seeing is just you kind of aping the motions and mirroring the motions of what would have happened okay. in that past. So like the moments where Fastbender's like like does his first kill and then looks at his hand like what the fuck like right. the like the what the fuck on his face is like that's breaking the simulation that's breaking the sink like that could mess things up. And if you break the sink you drop out of the program. You dr- yeah, you drop out of the, yeah, more or less okay. you drop out of the program. Um which we see that happen in the movie a couple of different ways where it's you know him either like having a shocked reaction to what's right. happening like whenever that he like catches the kid and almost falls off the cliff or right. whenever okay. the entire system glitches when he does the leap of faith and he becomes paralyzed right yeah when they first yank him out of the program mm-hmm. i didn't know why um but that makes sense if his his body was having a kind of a shock reaction to that's what it was okay. yeah it's it's his his body having a shock reaction and breaking that synchronization so that the regression doesn't hold you know what i would have liked hmm. a schlubby bender like a <laughs> modern day schlubby fast bender so that <laughs> when we see his ancestor in the past we're like noise huh interesting Ripped as fuck just like kind of let himself go a little yeah. bit just yeah got just like a like like a receding hairline and, and <laughs> yeah. con- like constant like just Homer a, Simpson five o'clock shadow. Just a normal little paunchy normal guy. You'd, yeah. you'd see it like, you know, fast food joint. Yeah. That's what I want. Because like <laughs> I, I look at Michael Fassman and I'm like, well, yeah, of course you can do that bullshit because you're, you're ripped and you probably eat well and have a personal trainer. Yeah. Look at him. Yeah. Oh, the only – I'll save you the other questions for later. But okay. the uh, – Apple. Yes. The fuck? The fuck was the apple? The apple, so the way they put it in the film is that the apple is a is an ancient artifact that holds the secrets to free will. I think the the way they put the way they put it in the movie is that it holds within it the genetic code for free will. How? Why? What? What is that even? Jack, you're not ready. I was a bad I was a bad Catholic Joe. I mm-hmm. I thought the apple meant oh, fucking. Oh, man. I, I'm i sorry, but I have to withhold this answer from you for just a little while longer. <laughs> it looked like a Quidditch. It kind of does, which is upsetting. I will say yeah. that the apple in the games always look bigger, look more imposing, mm-hmm. like le- less like a, less like a Quidditch snitch or whatever, and, <laughs> right. more, and more like a thing you could bludgeon a guy with. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, the pieces of Eden themselves, like they're varied. Like they, they, they're not just apple things. Like they, like you find in the game. That's one of the more typical forms of them that you find. Okay. But there are also like swords and staves, uh, or staves, whatever, whatever the word is, um, shroud of Turin, uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Okay, so, so it is pulled from the game that is a, a game accurate oh absolutely okay. yeah the apple yeah the apple of eden or the pieces of eden are an integral part of the game yes i guess what i was trying to figure out is the balance between uh, kind of like how indiana jones does where it's like is it a religious kind of supernatural thing or is it a historical sciencey thing? Oh, I gotta say, I gotta hold on to that. Okay, I gotta okay. hold on to that. that. I guess that's my core question, though. So okay, I'll, it, it, you, I'll hold on to that. I will say you will get your answer. Okay. Um, I don't know how you're gonna react when you get probably it. poorly, probably poorly, but it, um, it's gonna have to come later. 
great. Look forward to it. Uh, in the meantime, what do you say we take a quick break and then we'll uh, we'll jump back in and do some stats? Wonderful. Welcome back, everybody. All right, let's jump into some stats about Assassin's Creed. Jack, do you know the tomato meter scores for this movie? Ooh, no idea. All right, take just t- take a, a, a guess at the critics' tomato meter. 67. I'm going to give you another I'm going to give you another chance. Was <laughs> that that far off? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> like lower or higher? Lower. Ooh, okay. Uh 34. 19. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know it was it that dislike. It got it got beat up by critics. Uh a lot of people complained that it was just like a like a gross, dirty looking movie, just be, which because Man. of like a lot of the atmospheric shit that's going on that Kurzel does. Which if you've seen his Macbeth, he he loves him some smoke and fog. Who who directed this? Justin Kurzel, and he has done. What he else? did the 2015 Macbeth with Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. That makes sense. No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, he, he's done some other stuff too, but. Yeah. We'll talk about the the appearance of the film, but I also disliked it. Not enough to give it a nineteen, but it, there are some other reasons too. Yeah. I think I saw. I, I, I actually I have some I have some reviews here. I'll get to sure. them in a, uh, in a second. Uh, what about the audience score? What about the audience estimator meter? Sixty three. Forty two. Man, yeah. Did I like this more than other people? Uh, I, apparently, which I'm glad. <laughs> I, I definitely liked it more than other people. But, huh. uh, um, all right. IMDb. <laughs> I don't trust my thoughts anymore. Uh, I was going to say like a 5.2, but maybe I'll bump it down to like a, a 3.6. You were actually more calibrated for IMDb Damn. this time around. It was a 5.6. That I normally am. Closer in agreement to IMDb. Which is weird because IMDb is usually so far out of whack with everything else. At least it has been this Welcome season. Welcome to my brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so there were there were a number of just rough reviews for this. Sure. A few of the choice ones that I found. Uh, Matt Brunson from Film Frenzy said, Assassin's Creed is many things and none of them good. Visually, it's the ugliest movie of 2016. And keep in mind that I saw Robert De Niro's prosthetic penis in Dirty Grandpa. <laughs> Uh, Stephen Procopy from Third Coast Reviews says, A visually murky, nonsensical work that has somehow attracted a large number of really talented actors to run through the paces of a story whose stakes are an utter mystery. I take I take issue with this one in particular. I do have some issues with the stakes, but we can yes. talk about that later. Yeah, we'll, we'll, definitely, we'll definitely talk about that, but that's exactly where my problem lies as well. Peter Bradshaw with The Guardian said, I bet playing the game is much more exciting, but then getting Fassbender to slap a coat of Dulux on the wall and uh, and of his high-tech prison cell and monitoring the progressive moisture loss would be more exciting. It's weird it, comparison. Yeah, yeah. And, he's uh, done that before. <laughs> this, this guy's just re- a real, real big proponent of drying paint. <laughs> his uh, ideal Memorial Day yeah. weekend is three days of just watching his garage. It's actually a compliment set. he was paying Fassbender. Oh, that's it. Yeah. I'm reading. I was reading it wrong. Yeah. Uh, and last but not least, David Ehrlich from IndieWire says, <laughs> declaring this to be the best video game movie ever made is the kind of backhanded compliment that sounds like hyperbole, but the description fits the bill on both counts. 
I'm gonna go on the record to say I I cannot stand indie wires. I know you. Uh, you. Um, I'm not gonna lie. That's part of why I included. Uh, <laughs> they're so far up their own ass. It can be. They really can be. Also of note, this movie is not nominated for a single Razzie Award. It's a 2016. 2016. Uh, like I said, I I heard a lot about it, and then it was. Poof. I could have sworn it was nominated for one, but I was wrong. It was not, not, didn't have a single single nomination behind uh, behind it here. Most of my issues with it aren't the kind of thing that the Razzies would pick at. Like my my issues. That's are more true. There's like nothing technical. really particularly mean spirited yeah. they could have thrown at <laughs> yeah. it at this point in time. Like none of the performance. Well, we'll get to it. We're definitely going to get to it. Uh, but first, but before we get to that, I'd like to take a minute to look at who's responsible for this movie. Please do. So first and foremost, we have to start with Ubisoft, the uh, the, so- right. the developer behind the actual game series. Uh, Ubisoft created the Assassin's Creed series while trying to make a new Prince of Persia game, as I had mentioned earlier. Okay. They considered including an element about a secret society and in the research for that stumbled upon the Order of Assassins. Uh, there really was no. a, hyster- a historical Order of Assassins. Just like you see in the original game, headquartered in Masyaf, which is in uh, modern-day Iran. Okay. Uh, they were known as the Hashishan. They were a, a sect of uh, within a group of Shia Muslims. Uh, and yes, Hashishan as in Hashish. Uh, okay. They, they used Hashish in their, in their rituals and, ah, and initiations okay. and such. If you want to know more about that, Ubisoft has actually pro- uh, co-produced a uh, a podcast with History Hit huh. that is really informative and like asks a bunch of uh, uh, like academics really thorough questions about the time periods and what the Crusades and whatnot were actually like and what like where the foundations of this of this of this whole thing came from. It sounds so, really interesting. It is. It is pretty interesting. It's a decent listen. Um, just way too much for me to summarize here. Sure. <laughs> So they originally considered making a game about an assassin that's guiding and protecting a young prince, but then they thought it might be kind of weird to just have a Prince of Persia game where you're not playing as the prince. So uh, yeah. thus, Assassin's Creed was born as a franchise. Uh, and since that original game, like I mentioned, Assassin's Creed 2 was way better yeah. in pretty much every way, but the, the series has grown and evolved in such fascinating ways in terms of the storytelling involved, the way that they play with the ideas of the clandestine and conspiratorial thought and things of that nature. Uh, the settings that they take you to are vast and different. Every every game, even if it has some samey like, sure. mechanics and whatnot to it, has such a unique feel because of the different places that you're going to, like whether you know whether it is the Holy Land during the Third Crusade or fucking Vikings in the ninth century uh, resettling in England. That was why I was excited to play these games because I I enjoy history and I yeah. wanted to kind of run around and you know it gives you a really unique view of all this stuff. Stab too. at the Pope. That's I okay. I did really hi- I hyped that up really hard for you because at the end of Assassin's Creed Two, spoilers if you haven't played this game that's o- like you know well over a decade old, uh, but you do fist fight the Pope at the end of that <laughs> game and it fucking rules. I <laughs> uh, couldn't get past the tutorial. I would I would recommend keeping up with it, but okay. it, you know, if it's not for you, it's not for you. I'm not going to like force you to do that. Uh, maybe we'll make you do it for Patreon sometime though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, give us money and you can watch me rage quit a game over and over and over again. <laughs> um, 
Uh, but it, it it is a really interesting way to explore history and mm-hmm. learn about things. They do they do genuinely do a ton of research. Like every game starts off with like a, with like a, a notice like this was uh, researched and created by mm-hmm. like a, a diverse team of many nationalities and and uh, ethnic backgrounds and sexualities and gender identities mm-hmm. and so nice. on and so forth. And it's like they really do try to create a thorough living portrait of these. Uh, of these different time periods in these different parts of the world as, you know, as was relevant to those days and also then shoehorn in a bunch of sci-fi weirdness and bullshit. Right. Uh, which is just great and sometimes campy and weird and it makes me happy. They also, they also lean into the idea a little bit that Leonardo da Vinci might have been gay. So, or at least bi. So that's fun. I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it gets suggested. No one knows. People say they didn't have like right. the labels and whatnot that we have back then and whatnot. But hmm. yeah, whatever. People still were fucking. In, in the Marvel comics, da Vinci started S.H.I.E.L.D. Or was one of the people that started S.H.I.E.L.D. Nice. Yeah. Good for him. Busy guy. Uh, assass- uh, also of note, in Assassin's Creed 3, they included the uh, entire, like, audio, like, voice recording of the uh, Ben Franklin uh, treatise on why sex with older women is great. <laughs> Somebody had to voice act that. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> Money well earned. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure that was a fantastic day in the recording booth. I would be remiss if I did not mention that Ubisoft has been dealing with the fallout of sexual misconduct allegations since early 2020. Accusations were made against executives and managers all throughout the company at various studios, some of whom have been with the company since its founding, uh, several of whom were fired after investigations uh, or conveniently stepped down from positions or resigned altogether before investigations could oust them. Uh, while Ubisoft has hired all new HR staff and leadership and hired additional diversity, equity, and inclusion personnel, many employees feel there has been no real change in the company's culture and place the blame uh, for that on the alleged practice of shifting problematic supervisors around from department to department, from studio to studio. Uh, like priests. <laughs> yeah, <the> parallels <laughs> right there. I mean, we see that more and more. Hell, they, what did they say in Chicago just recently? They found like 400-something priests that were uh, engaging in this kind of behavior. I, and, I hadn't heard that, but yeah, yeah no, it, it's unfortunately it was, not surprising. It was like four times more than the church had admitted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, awful. Uh, the misogyny the in the company's culture also led to this really weird phenomenon where uh, – Ubisoft announced that they would not be supporting female character models in Assassin's Creed Unity, mm-hmm. even though they had done that in previous games, specifically with Assassin's Creed 3 and Assassin's Creed 3 Liberation, which is a side game where you play as a black woman. Can you clarify that for a video game, not really a video game person? Uh, sure. How 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 do they're not doing female model what what's now? Oh, like as your playable character model, like uh-huh. they weren't going to design a female version of the characters, uh, which. Specifically for Assassin's Creed Unity, that's relevant because there was an online multiplayer uh, component to the game. Sure. Uh, where it was like online, it was online co-op, basically. So okay. you could have multiple assassins kind of joining in on specific sure. uh, missions, but they weren't going to allow you to choose a, a, an avatar for those. They are all just kind of clones of the main uh, okay. uh, protagonist that you play in, uh, uh, play as in that game. Sure. Uh, which actually is Arno Dorian, who is one of the assassins that pops up at uh, around Cal at the end of the movie. <laughs> they 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 shoot. Uh, gotcha. They just kind of shoehorn him in there. We, we realize, hey, he's he's one of this guy's descendants. Play that game. We fixed all the bugs. People's <laughs> teeth don't float in midair anymore. 
Oh. <laughs> yeah, that game had a real bad launch. Uh, certain editors were even pushed for the exclusion of prominent playable female protagonists in Assassin's Creed Syndicate and Assassin's Creed Origins, which would have had terrible impacts on the narrative and structure of those games. And thankfully, those pushes were ignored. Uh, so this time, I would like to mention that I, I only buy these games used. <laughs> what were they trying to solve by not letting you play as a femme character? Um, the existence of women. Oh. I, something along those lines. I have no idea. It's yeah. just for whatever reason, there were particular people who had like editorial control over some sure. uh, or editorial influence over over the, the gameplay process, and they kept trying to veto the inclusion of a female playable protagonist. Which, especially That's in really the case weird. of Assassin's Creed Syndicate, that would have fucked some shit up because the whole shtick was that you have is that you're playing as twins, a uh, brother and sure, a sister sure. that you can switch between at will. Y- yeah. Yeah, uh, that's stupid. It's okay. really dumb. Right. It's absolutely stupid. Again, some of those people have been fired. Some of those people got shifted around. And in one case, one of them just kind of dubiously stepped down and then went and worked at a wildlife preserve or something. <laughs> he claimed it was because of stress. But come on. Huh. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that Ubisoft was sued in 2012 by author John L. Beiswanger. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm sorry, John, if I'm wrong. For allegedly plagiarizing his 2002 sci-fi novel, Link, which features a genetic memory device very similar to Assassin's Creed's Animus. Mm. The novel doesn't center on assassinations, but it does make an allusion to John Wilkes Booth in its explanation of how the concept of genetic memory works, so that's kind of weird. Some suggest that this isn't really enough to base a plagiarism suit on, but I have not read the book, and I am not an expert on copyright law, so take that as you will. Though I did get kind of a deja vu from reading that bit, because it took me back to the discussion of whether or not the Lion King is plagiarized. Right, right, right. Um, Also, Inception was first done in a Scrooge McDuck comic book. So Really? Yeah. Yeah, Nolan, we're on to you. Interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. Watching you, Nolan. (laughs) And your weird obsession with 60s <laughs> duck comics. Duck, duck-based comics. <laughs> Watch Oppenheimer be completely, oh, like, God. stolen from Howard the Duck. <laughs> uh, God, it's going to be weird. And I'll watch it twice. Okay. Getting back to the, the matter at hand here, uh, Ubisoft was originally in talks with Sony to develop an Assassin's Creed film in 2011, but those talks were put on hold so that Ubisoft could maintain greater creative control over the film. So instead, they decided to go with DMC Film, which also brought with them their main producer and star, Michael Fassbender. That is his production okay. imprint. Like, I've never heard of DMC. Yep, that's, 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 uh, that's Fassbender's okay. little baby there. Michael Fassbender was in no way a gamer before playing uh, sure. or before signing on to Assassin's Creed. Um, the series really piqued his interest when, during his initial meetings with Ubisoft, they brought up the idea of genetic memories. Like he thought that sounded really interesting, and when they explained the concept to him, to him, he actually felt like this sounds this actually sounds scientifically plausible. Yeah, Mike. Um, I'm gonna gonna talk more about that in episode two. Okay, but um, mini mini rant, very tiny mini rant. Tiny, tiny. Um, it it kind of drives me insane when super fans get pissed that an actor is not like a diehard comic book fan or a diehard. Oh yeah, no, that's always so frustrating. Like, let people come into things when they find them, or like, 
Like, you don't have to have, like, an intimate knowledge of the lore and the development of something to, like, jump in and engage right. with it. Like, if I were cast as Ambush Bug, I've <laughs> never read a single Ambush Bug comic book, and I don't uh, intend to. This is the first time I've ever heard the phrase Ambush Bug. I can't even remember which comic company. I think I think it's Marvel. Anyway. Uh, okay. Uh, I was going to guess IDW. But. If, <laughs> if I were cast as Ambush Bug, I would then go get the comics, but I am not currently – nor have I ever been a fan of Ambush Bug. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that written down for the inevitable court case that comes from those right. statements. <laughs> I did not steal that plot <laughs> from Ambush Bug. Yeah, so the genetic memory thing seemed plausible to him, so that opened him up to the rest of the story and ideas surrounding Assassin's Creed. Uh, so it was originally expected that Fassbender was going to play the original modern day uh, game protagonist Desmond Miles. Like he's like the present day figure who gets put into the Animus through like the first five Assassin's Creed games. Oh, okay. Uh, spoiler: He dies at the end of Assassin's Creed Three. Also, you might think it's weird that there's five games and he dies at the end of three, and it's because Assassin's Creed Two is actually part one of its own little mini trilogy surrounding Ezio Auditore. And the decisions were made. I don't right. know. <laughs> Numbers are hard, I guess. Uh, but in 2012, it was clarified that he would actually be playing an original character in a new story set in the same universe as the games. So that's how we end okay. up with Callum Lynch. When talking about this, Fassbender is quoted as saying, We really want to respect the games and the elements to it, but we also wanted to come up with our own thing. And one thing I've sort of learned from doing the franchises like X-Men is that audiences, I think, want to be surprised and see and to see new elements of what they already know and different takes on it. Yeah, it depends on the fan. It does depend on the fan. I'll also say that those X-Men movies are not the best uh, example to no. uh, to give, especially given the way... Uh, well, actually, at this point, I don't know if Apocalypse had happened yet, so... Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember, so... Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That movie was horrible. <laughs> How do you how do you have Oscar Isaac in as a villain and then you just cover him up in all that awful prosthesis? Just, I, I will never watch it. It's so bad. It's so I saw it at a drive-in, and it was like a waste of a drive-in experience. Oh man, I hope you ate some good candy. I did have some good food. Yeah, so I had some good candy. Um, so of course the most no noteworthy change when they're talking about this kind of stuff is the animus itself. Uh, Jack mentioned that it's kind of like a claw. Uh, yeah. In in this one, because in the games, it's basically like a chair. Like, you just kind of lean back oh, okay. into it, and oh. then, like, you fade into, like, the, uh, or you load into the, like, the, uh, the past scenario that you're being synced up with. Have you ever seen the art exhibit where it's, like, a mechanical arm, and it's trying to, like, squeegee up some, some goo, either blood or oil or that something? That does sound vaguely familiar. Um, and it, it, it's a failing, it fails, because you, it's a liquid, and it will always return to its liquidy state. Yeah. Uh, and the point of the thing is that eventually that robot arm will die and did. Yeah. Uh, failing to to complete his job. Anyway, it kind of looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, to, I'm gonna have to look that up. <laughs> Please do. It's soul crushing. Yeah. But if you haven't seen the movie, it's like a dynamic crane rig kind of thing that allows for three dimensional motion capability. Uh, so it made it made what was originally a stationary chair slash mattress situation <laughs> to into a much more visually interesting yeah it know, makes sense more cinema cinematically interesting thing to behold uh and fastbender also pointed out uh dodge potential comparisons to the matrix i had thought about that yes 
See, I hadn't, but only because I was like so dialed in on like, yeah, I like these games. So like, right. the, but then, but then I read that and went, oh, okay, yeah, I can see where that would come from. Fastbender was notably one of the most enthusiastic people talking about this project, usually being the uh, just outright the most effusive cast member in interviews, hmm. uh, but also couldn't help but. Uh, but put promoting the film aside occasionally to focus on doing bits with interviewers that he had close relationships with. Uh, in particular, there's a uh, an interview that he did for the for the show Popcorn with Peter Travers, who, uh, if you're not familiar with Peter Travers, is a Rolling Stone film critic. Uh, and this is one of the most bonkers interviews I've ever seen somebody do because you just see like Fastbender looks like he's just he's just itching to make jokes the entire time. So he weird. barely promotes anything that happens in the movie. Everything everything that is said to him is treated as a thing to yes and. Uh he go he he at one point pivots from saying or, or when he's asked about like whether he has enjoyed playing the games themselves, mm-hmm. he he pivots from a joke about being the most skilled gamer on the planet and being able to play the games blindfolded to quickly admitting that he had no idea what he was doing and was just walking into a corner trying to climb a wall you can't climb. Okay. And that's, that's just that's just like the tip of the iceberg. Just look up the interview. It's fucking bonkers. Mm-hmm. It's like 20 minutes of weirdness. It's a, it's a weird way to spend 20 minutes of my shift at work the other day. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, Fassbender was also responsible for bringing on the film's director, Justin Kurzel. Uh, Kurzel worked with Fassbender and Cotillard on 2015's Macbeth, a critically lauded and visually stunning take on Shakespeare's Scottish play. When Fassbender told Kurzel about Assassin's Creed, the Aussie's response was, why? Why are you interested in that? <laughs> Yeah, so Fassbender yeah. broke down the conflicts and the history at play, and Kurzel eventually changed his tune. He is, by his own admission, a filmmaker that's intensely interested in stories about violence. Uh, in addition to Macbeth, his first film, Snowtown, or The Snowtown Murders, uh, in 2011, uh, fo- is also focused on particularly violent subject matter. Uh, in that case, in the case of that one, it's I I forget the specifics of it, but I think there's like a like a like a neighborhood watch association that like kind of takes on a violent vigilante kind of slant. I forget the specifics. Uh, I've but. heard of it. It's on a bunch of like horror movie watch lists. Yeah, yeah. It's in- it's interesting that he went from that to Macbeth to this. He also had pretty high hopes about there being a sequel for this because in the midst of production for this movie, uh, talks and, de- and early development for a sequel had already picked up and Kurzel had, vo- had voiced interest in potentially doing a Cold War era story. But I would have found more interesting. Yeah, that would have been more up your alley for sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, alas. Darn. Uh, there were several different writers on this film. Michael Leslie, was, uh, who wrote the 2015 Macbeth script, was originally hired to write this script in January of 2013. Uh, by July of that year, Scott Frank, who wrote Minority Report and Logan, was brought on to do rewrites. Uh, but he's not credited for hmm. it, at least according to IMDb. Uh, in April of 2014, Adam Cooper and Bill Collage, uh, who did, and this is an interesting assortment of films that they've done. This is only a this is only a fraction of them. New York Minute, Accepted, The Transporter Refueled, and Allegiant. Huh. Uh, they were they were brought on for more rewrites. They are they sure. are actually credited with those rewrites. 
Uh, filming ran from August 2015 through January 2016, with the exception of some additional shooting done in July of 2016 at the Ely Cathedral. Uh, filming was done in Malta, London, Spain, and a couple of sound stages. Uh, and production really went through unremarkably smoothly. Mm-hmm. Like it was fine, though. The the biggest challenge they they encountered was the stunt work. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah, but. Looking at the behind-the-scenes materials, like seeing the effort that was put into the stunt work and the people they brought in to do it, what is f- genuinely fascinating. Like the parkour stuff in particular is so cool to see because they brought in actual professional like slackline runners and acrobats to do that stuff. It's so disappointing that they shot them so poorly. Oh, that. <laughs> we're going to get into that. Yeah, okay. we're definitely going to get into that. But probably the most impressive thing though is that they actually did a real leap of faith. So, yeah, so if you're not familiar with the games, A Leap of Faith is the iconic, like, spread-armed leap that the assassins do off of high things that usually uh, ends with them, uh, like, flipping over and landing in, like, a a cart full of hay. (laughs) Right. Uh, So they're from, like, cartoonishly high heights. Like, I've played pretty much every Assassin's Creed game. There's at least, like, three jumps where, like, no, you died. (laughs) That, fuck you, there's no possible way. (laughs) And at least one of them has, like, a funny achievement att- attached to it as well, because, of course. Right. But they actually did have one of the stunt people, Damien Walters, uh, do a real leap of faith. And they kind of, like, scaled him up to do it. So like, they had him jump off of, like a, like, a crane platform. Sure. And then land in, like, a big inflatable thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they started him off at 20 feet up. And then they went through like okay. seven jumps that would scale him higher and higher and higher. Yeah. He got to about 125 feet for the last jump. Successful, Oof. no injuries. Damn. Yeah. But a hu- 125 feet. It was the, it was the highest, uh, the highest free fall jump in film, in film history for like decades. Like I think there yeah. have been higher, but it was, the highest one since, like, at it's least like the 70s or before something. Before unions, we just kicked the guy off Sure, of the yeah. <laughs> just like, all right, George, going, tuck and roll! <laughs> Not my horse. <laughs> <laughs> Aim for the bush. Oh, we missed the bush. <sighs> That's really disappointing. Because um, they, they, the way they filmed it, and having no knowledge of that, it looks like it's a lot of green screen. See, it does kind of feel like green screen, unfortunately. And I think it's particularly... Like, I think I mentioned to you, like, you know, I kind of wish they had put, like, a like a, like a hay bale under yeah. him there to show he was going to land in that. But he, it's, it looks like he's jumping down into, like, a bazaar or something. Yeah. He's going to land in, like, a, like a, like a, like a, 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 like a tent roof or yeah. something. Uh, like a tent canopy or something. And it's... Uh, yeah, like I'm not sure what else they were supposed to do there because like like the the crane setup that they had built and the and the landing pad he was jumping onto just kind of like like it was outside, but it was mm. not anywhere near anything that they would have been filming. So like, there's no set around it to like, to actively work with. I don't know. It, it's yeah. it, it, it's it's hard it's hard to like to theorize how they could have done that and make it look more practical. Yeah, you know it's. Mm. I'm sure. I'm sure it could have been done. It probably would have cost a lot more money, and especially if they didn't know how high they were going to go with it. Especially if they didn't know how yeah. high they were going to go with it, because I think that's. I think that's largely part of it, because they didn't know how how high Damien was going to be comfortable mm-hmm. going. Like, I, I don't even think that they were sure they were going to get up uh, up to a hundred feet, and they ended up getting one hundred twenty five. So I'm thinking of. I think it's Batman Begins where he jumps down the stairwell. 
like straight through the center. Oh yeah, uh, and that looked really realistic. That did look realistic. Um, yeah, that's a much more like confined kind of setup yeah. though, because like in the film, like they're they're jumping from like some construction scaffolding yeah. that's like built off the side of a cathedral or something. Oh whale, yeah. Before production, the release date was announced and changed several times before eventually landing on December 21st, 2016, the same day as Illumination's Sing and Columbia Pictures' Passengers. Uh, Sing is an animated children's movie that did pretty well, has become pretty popular, uh, had a sequel, if I'm not mistaken, and Passengers is a... Uh, is, is a uh, Creepy space movie where, oh, no. uh, about Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence yeah. as though they're the only two people on a space station. And it turned out Chris Pratt uh, orchestrated the whole thing to impress her or something. It's, it's a uh, bad movie. But there was something else that was uh, really actually controlling the box office at that point in time. And that was Gareth Edwards' Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Yeah. That had come okay. out like two weeks before this. <laughs> Not even. It was like 11 days before this, I think. Something like that. They, they Yeah. they Did they think Assassin's Creed was going to do well against it? Um, I don't see how. Yeah. Uh, the original release dates that had been proposed were all during the summer of 2015. Uh, so given the production schedule, mm-hmm. that would not have been possible to actually pull that off. But a late summer or fall release definitely would have helped avoid a head-to-head with a goddamn Star Wars right, movie, yeah. though. Because that – I can't – I have to imagine that hurt them quite a bit. It's the same vibe. Like if I'm going to the movies, I, I'm going to go to the one I'm more of a fan of, but it's like the same vibe. Yeah. I mean it's 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 a big sci-fi adventure, right? Yeah. Like it's not – you're not going to see a big overlap between the Sing crowd and the Assassin's Creed crowd. It's like when we go and see Barbie and Oppenheimer the same day. Like <laughs> – <laughs> I mean – that's the correct thing to do. Right. But I, I can't see anybody but trying to pull. different flavors. It's not like I'm yes. watching like two Barbies. Exactly. Two I feel like if I, if, I, if I were to watch Rogue One and Assassin's Creed in the same day, it'd be overwhelming because it's yeah. all the same. It's all the same style. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, not exactly, but, you know, it's the same. It's similar genre stuff. It's 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 all Chinese food. It's all Chinese food. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to break some of that up with like some sorbet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you understood. <laughs> that honestly, that's really all there is to talk mm-hmm. about with the production. Like, there's there were no major snafus, at least nothing that's come out. Yeah. Like, none of the interviews with any of the cast or crew or the director or, or anyone from Ubisoft uh, suggest that anything went awry. Everything seems to have gone really smoothly. It's it's odd. Like. You'd think that with something of this of this magnitude yeah. and something that had so many delays in 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 um in its in its release that there would have been some kind of glaring issues, but yeah, the delays delay release date is usually a sign that something fuckery is going on, right? And like at first, I thought like, well, maybe it's because all, there were all these changes in writers, mm-hmm. but like that all happened before Kurzel even got even signed on as mm-hmm. director. Like there weren't any major script changes after he came on. Outside of, I'm sure there was some little tweaking here sure, and there yeah. on set because that always happens. It's, you know, remi- reminder that the writers' guild's on strike. Yeah, but really, there's like there's no. Dirt. There's no. There's no. Well, I mean, there was a lot of dirt. It was a very. There's there a lot. Was a very dirty film. Yeah, but but there was no like catastrophe that happened. It's just kind of like yeah, yeah. Don't know. No idea. Don't care. Let's take a break. Great. <laughs> Psst. Hey, you want to get doomed? 
I'm Tessa. And I'm Nicole. And we have a spanking new podcast for your ear holes called Doom Generation. Listen in as two foul mouth biddies have an always casual, often comedic. What? I think we're funny. And sometimes chaotic conversation about the things that doomed us to be who we are today. Take a trip with us down nostalgia lane and we'll try not to veer off the road. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Doom Generation Pod and on Twitter at Doom Gen Pod. Later, Doomers! Welcome back. Thank you for sticking around with us here. Now, I'd like to focus in on what worked about this movie. Let's start with the cast. Jack, what do you think? They're all pretty much straight down the middle for me. Like, yeah. no one did a terrible job. No one did a fantastic job. I think I'd agree with that. I think it's very clear that Fassbender's having the most fun. Yeah. And, like, he gets to kind of chew on the scenery a little bit more, particularly when he's, like, scream karaokeing uh, crazy. <laughs> Fucking it, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, everyone everyone else, I feel like, is just, you know, just walking that line down the middle and just, yeah. like, doing a serviceable job. Like, this, it's not standout, but it's also it's also not bad. Like, I've, I've seen Jeremy Irons do an incredible job. I've seen Marion Cotillard do an amazing job. Um, Brandon Gleason... Yeah, was completely wasted. Honestly, yeah, uh, I would have liked to have seen more done with him, but at the same time, it's like, what the fuck else do you really do with that character? Yeah, um, I'm dropping his name, uh, but Batista, the character is Batista. Oh, um, Batista. But I think Batista was his assassin, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Musa was the character. Musa. Is it Mi- Michael K. Williams? Yes. Yeah. Wow, we talked about how. Yeah, pretty good job. Yeah, like his I would have. I would have dumb, but I would have liked to have seen more from him. I kind of liked like the cryptic weirdo yeah. that he was playing. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I would have liked more of it. You know, it just like, we didn't really get to know him that well. Aside from like, oh, yeah. you're a cryptic weirdo, and you're trying to get something across to Cal here, but he's 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 intransigent at this point. He does not care. Yeah, yeah I when we kind of rewatched it last night, I I stopped to watch his scenes specifically. Uh, and it's because he was like acting really hard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, you 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 feel a lot of the effort in what he's putting yeah. in there. And I don't think it was because Fassbender was like shitty at those moments. I think it was just his character was pretty muted yeah. in those moments. So it's it's just him acting in a bubble, really. Yeah. And doing like a pretty good job at it. I thought so. Yeah. Uh, everyone else was fine. Yeah. Like I think like the other assassins were all kind of samey. Yeah. But. Nothing. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's anything particularly wrong with them. No, they they weren't given a whole lot. Yeah, just kind of like not quite featured extras, but like just slightly above that. Yeah. What about the story? Um, I I really like the opening, the ceremony. Yeah, yeah that that drew me in because again I don't know this series i think yeah i think it does a good job of like kind of setting the mood for like the assassins deal yeah like just giving you that one little look into like their clandestine uh like esoteric ritual kind of things yeah like really the first act there was some some bumps but i was with it for the most part because it it sets up a lot of promise for what's going to happen in the second and third act yeah and i think they did explain the technology pretty well for somebody who's not played the game. I'd agree with that too. I think they they did a really good job of like setting the expectation of what the fuck the animus is yeah. and does, especially considering it was such a new take on yeah. that thing. It was like I think they 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 understood the assignment for for that particular thing. And that's where I'll stop with that. <laughs> okay. 
Um, I personally felt that uh, Cal's struggle to really grapple with and understand his past and what brought him to where he is now was pretty effective. Like, seeing him really, like, rebel against and try and grapple with, like, his his family, his, mm. like, the creed, and, and trying to, like, get a real understanding of what of what all's going on there. Like, because he, he's... Like he's got that line stuck in his head since he's a little kid that mm-hmm. his blood is not his own, and he hasn't really come to understand it until much, 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 much later. And I think like the I think the line from that point to where he ends up, I think it works, but I, you know I think I think it's it gets muddied a little bit here and there, but overall I think it works. Yeah, yeah. I think part of the issue with his through line is that there's so much plot and yeah. exposition crammed into it mm-hmm. that you, you lo- I think probably around the third act, you, you lose it a little bit. Okay. Because they, they've got to like ramp up towards the ending. It's for me, the part where I was lost was when they go from finishing the story in the past to being all present mm-hmm. and then believing that Michael Fassbender is like a super assassin from, from that point on. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the fix itself. Okay, sure. Um, but but yeah, I I think yeah, there's it gets a little murky there. I think the mirror of this though, the way that Sophia struggles with her father and the Templar Order's goals, mm-hmm. I think that worked as well too. I think they did a good job of communicating the true nefariousness of what the Templars are trying to trying to achieve, mm-hmm. and how even someone who may who may not want the totality of those things is play is can play into it. Yeah. Uh, what about the production? I really didn't like most of the production. Um, <laughs> that was my biggest beef. It was a production, and <laughs> there was a lot of basketball in that facility. That There was some basketball. Uh, yeah. I just thought maybe other sports options might be nice. A foosball table. I do appreciate the open menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, the the parkour looked cool. It's just that there's so much CGI surrounding it. Mm-hmm. I I also marked that the stunts themselves were yeah. impressive. Like they, like between the leap of faith and the slack rope stuff and everything. I think the the things that they accomplished mm-hmm. were very cool. I think I think they I think they they work in and of themselves. The 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 scene I thought was the the most fun to watch was the. You said the word earlier, where they burn the heretics. Oh, the auto de fe. Yeah. yeah, that whole scene I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I, I thought that that was that's probably my favorite of the uh, scenes from the past. Mm-hmm. Just very well done. It's a great it's it's a great Assassin's Creed you know game set piece basically. Yeah. Like it, it it's a big moment of peril that you have to escape. I liked it. Yeah, I I agree. I had I have a couple things under the production that I feel like worked. I mean, we've already talked about the fact that the new Animus is a big visual upgrade yes, from yeah. the uh, from the original game version. We touched on the stunts. I actually really like the costuming. The costuming was kind of ruined for me by the color grade. It, See, I I, I hated <laughs> the color. The, the See, whole movie's color I hated. See, I actually liked it. See, I, I, I think like this the atmosphere that was being created, I think, worked. At least for me. I I, I, I enjoyed it. Um I think the way that Kurzel plays with smoke and fog uh really fit into the situations that were playing out on screen and 
also are hallmarks of the Assassin's Creed gameplay, like being able to like use smoke as a distraction and whatnot, and you know playing with your surroundings in that way. I think you know is it, like, that is a hallmark of the gameplay in a way. So that he is kind of working those elements in, uh, and. Also, like the contrasting color grading between the present day and uh, 1492 Andalusia, like the fact that you get you get from like that that cold clinical like blue gray mm-hmm. to the much more vibrant like orange, orange and yellows and whatnot. And see, uh, the 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 smoke and fog was fine. Like that that makes sense. It was the like Instagram filter version of of both the the present and the past where they saw the cools the blues and cranked it up to 104 uh and then did the same for it it just it blew out a lot of the details in the image hmm. um and yeah there's supposed to be like a separation between you and the the narrative the story but this was like i'm like this feels like somebody who's like oh make it more comic booky and hmm. it just kind of like blew it out for me okay um i also i think i watched like a video once that was like so this color scheme became very popular at this point in time in film. And then as soon as you realize that you can't stop seeing orange <laughs> and blue. Cause yeah, the, I, mean, I mean, the colors they're, they're yeah. work well together. Yeah. They're, they're, they're complimentary on the yeah. color wheel. So yeah, that may, yeah, that makes sense. So it's basic. It's yeah. like some like color theory one Oh one. Yeah. And then one person did it and everyone's like, well, let's do that. Yeah, that's fair. What about themes? Hmm. Well, I didn't understand the apple. So I feel like I'm, that went over my head. Family sucking. Huh? Yeah. Uh, gen- I, I had marked uh, generational trauma slash violence uh, be, being a, a big old theme here. Connected with that. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basketball. Great. <laughs> You're picking up on the basketball way more than I thought that you were going to. Which it reminded weird. me of the scene from Alien Resurrection where Sigourney Weaver throws the basketball over her shoulder and makes... Um, nice. Yeah. That for real. Oh, she she actually did that? Yeah. She just sank that no look basket. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can All if right, you look in the it. background, um God, is it Ron Perlman? You, yeah. You can see his face where he's like, Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking yeah. rolls. Yeah. I absolutely love that. I was really hoping that <laughs> Mikey Fassbender was gonna try that. That would have been cool as yeah. hell. Yeah. <laughs> I also I, again like I liked the stakes that were set in this in this uh, in this movie, and I, I feel like that struggle between free will and control I think is established well in this movie. I think that works, and was potentially going to continue into a, a very interesting uh, thing in the sequel. But is that something they play with in the games? Oh, constantly. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. It's yeah, it's at the heart of the struggle from the very first game, hundred percent. I think they. They had to establish so much of the world in this that I like that theme and I could see them expanding on that in a second one. But there was just so much already crammed into this. All right, let's move on to what didn't work. Hmm. We'll start with the cast. Again, they were all very middle of the road. Um, yeah, I literally wrote shrug. Yeah. Because I'm not sure. The the one person that I think like kind of like I, and this I don't even think is their fault entirely. Hmm. Was um, Ariane Labed who played Maria, the uh, assa- the assassin who was with Aguilar? Ah, yeah. Um, she like overall, I thought she was solid. Mm-hmm. Line de- line deliveries are on point, even you know, e- even for being in a, her non-native language, right? Because she's a French actress, if I'm not mistaken. Gotcha. Um, 
but she yeah she, she did very well with the with the uh the Spanish dialogue I think that the relationship between her and Aguilar was like, like it was never like directly spelled out but I think you could sure, you yeah. could read inferences from their body language and the way they interact together the thing that got to me about her performance was her stunt work uh, she hmm. didn't seem comfortable with like the fight choreography sure, and things okay. like that which you know th- that stuff can be tricky the two actors that I had, I didn't really have an issue with. They just weren't written super well. Yeah. Uh, one, I'm like, why would you waste Brandon Gleason? Um, yeah. It was just weird. It was just weird to see him and then have him do but nothing. Yeah. He didn't um, even cut any fingers off. No. <laughs> just. And then the I've I've been thinking of him, of him as the sheriff sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> um, oh, the uh, like the stereo security guy. No, no, I know who you're talking about. No, the one in the past. Oh, um, he kills the lady friend. Oh, the Black Knight. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's like the the last guy that 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 uh that Aguilar kills before like running off with the apple. I think so. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. He. Yeah. I can see the Sheriff of Nottingham he's, comparison there. Uh, I mean, he's just kind of supposed to be a big brute. He did it. He did it. Yeah. <laughs> Just the most generic, yeah, yeah. I think like, you got. I think we we saw less of Torquemada, and I felt like he was a more effective villain. Which one was that? Uh, he was the he was the guy who was presiding over the auto de fe, like the okay, yeah, yeah, guy in the white robes with the yes. with the bald head. Yes, yeah, yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah, I mean he was he led the Spanish Inquisition. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, fuck that guy because of the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> uh, okay, what about the story? What did not work? I do not feel that the two storylines meshed super well. Okay. Uh, I think the – it was weird. I, I assume it mostly was going to be in the past, but it was it was like really, really focused on the present. It was very focused on the present, yeah. It's it's kind of the opposite problem because, like, you know, like I said, it's the inverse of what we mm-hmm. usually see yeah. in the games because a lot – like the, the – the the long running joke or like half joke I guess mm-hmm. with a lot of Assassin's Creed fans is like who the fuck cares about what's happening in the present day get get me back to the good stuff <laughs> right um, the the past felt very much like okay well we need to move this plot piece up a little mm-hmm. bit um, kind of made it feel kind of rushed and disjointed yeah. and because I really didn't like the way they were shooting the stunts I couldn't even really enjoy the action super super well. yeah um, it was. A lot of talky or a lot of exposition, and I. It was a little expositiony, which exposition in Spanish, when the yeah. when the rest of the movie is all in English, and yeah, and even then the English is also kind of expositiony here and there. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I did, I don't know how they would have um, given all the information that they had to give while also developing the characters, because when they they did. Ch- it wasn't a prison, but the other people that were living in this facility. Yeah. When they started to develop those characters, like, oh, okay, so we're going to actually start to care about them. Oh, we don't have time. Yeah. We don't have time. We, we, don't have time. Okay. we, bar- we get, like, the barest of that with Musa, yeah. and, like, yeah. that's it. Like, the other like the other, the other, other assassins that are there are all, like, just cookie cutter. Yeah. They're, like, you could interchange any single one of them with the other, and, like, no yeah. one would notice. There was the one that grabbed the apple. There was the one that grabbed the apple. That was yeah. that one. He'd grab that apple. Did uh, I, I? I actually I have a, another mark here. Uh, this is actually a quote from Michael Fassbender. Like mm-hmm. in retrospect, it has three beginnings, and that's a mistake. 
It does have three beginnings. It, it has. Right? It absolutely has three beginnings. Which I think, like as much as I like seeing the uh, the initiation ritual for Aguilar, placing it before everything else, before we even established like the like the operation of the mm-hmm. Animus or who the fuck Cal is or any of that, like it, it sets it off on a weird foot. Yeah. Here's the thing: you have a you have a story device, a plot device that allows you to have flashbacks. Yeah. You can work those two opening flashbacks into the story somewhere that make more of an impact on those characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know how well that would mesh with the the game, but I don't care. Yeah, yeah. But I I, I want to see what your fix is. We'll get we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, a couple other notes I have here: um, sentenced to death for killing a pimp. <laughs> yeah, they, that was. So they never establish where that happened. Mm-hmm. So like if if you if you if you really expect me to believe that he's still somewhere in California and he killed a pimp, that he's going to be sentenced to death for it? That's yeah, that his whole like I'm a violent individual and I killed a pimp. I'm like okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you were in Texas, <laughs> maybe. I don't even well, I don't even think then. No. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I think you would maybe maybe you get life. Yeah, I, but I don't think I don't think you I don't think that you get this treatment for killing a pimp. I don't think that I don't think that American culture works that way, regardless of what t- of, of of what regardless of this happening in 2016. I don't think <laughs> I don't think that that's enough for him to get that death penalty unless there is outer manipulation from Abstergo to make that sure. sentence happen. Yeah, which they don't establish that. They that would have been any, interesting. Yeah, that would have been interesting, but they did absolutely nothing to establish that kind of thing. Or I would have liked to have seen a bloodthirsty Michael Fassbender. Just, b- just, just killing. Just killing. Just killing. He's um, just loses his shit and like just starts killing people in like a shopping mall or there, something. There's a line in. No, that's terrible, actually. Uh, yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> it's a very dark version. That's a very movie. dark version. It's I'd a very different movie. I really, really enjoy it. Um, <laughs> there's a, a moment in Sin City, the movie, and then one of the books. Oh, yeah. Where they talk about Marv and how. If he had been born during like ancient Roman times, he, they would have like thrown women at him because he is a violent person and would just like, but, but because he's born, you know, yeah. Sin City modern day. He's not getting, yeah, he is. He's, it's a, he's a villain. Much, much different culture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it kind of feels like that. Let's see, a couple other things that I felt like didn't go right here. Um, oops, eugenics. <laughs> <laughs> As literally, literally, into that, huh? literally what it says in my notes. Uh, yeah, Sophia's whole cure for violence motivations actually kind of fucked up if you think about it for like le- even like five seconds. Because mm-hmm. the, the idea that violent behavior is a specifically genetic thing and not like a response to what's happening around you or a survival mechanism mm-hmm. is so fucked up. <laughs> the, the idea that you need to placate the entire population into, pa- into passivity just... Yeah. Which, again, just saying that part of it out loud makes it a little weird that she was so not up for what her father's plan was. <laughs> like, Yeah, I, I couldn't get a, a hold on her character. Because you feel a little mangly uh, mang- mang- <laughs> it's, That's a weird well, I wouldn't go quite so far as Mangala, but... <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Like, she thinks she's doing something noble, but, like, so many villains and monsters think they're doing something noble, right? Like, she's at a point where she's 
very clearly struggling with that. In in the game, are they also trying to cure the human need for violence? No, they're trying to control people. Like they okay. they they make like public facing claims because like Abstergo is a giant corporation sure. in the world of the game. Umbrella, and, got it. Yeah, it's kind of Umbrella Corpy. But they make they make like public facing claims of how they how they are like meeting human needs and creating like groundbreaking treatments for you know wh- this and that and also have like a really thorough media branch of their company that like creates video game experiences and home entertainment and things like that like it's a Kinda very like yeah. very broad umbrella of things that Abstergo does. Oh, so Sony, kind yeah, kind of just there there comes a point when with um. With uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag and Assassin's Creed Rogue, mm-hmm. where the present day storyline is like immediately after Desmond has died, so mm-hmm. the present day storyline shifts and becomes kind of about kind of about the the uh, the world of making video games. <laughs> like you're in like a like a branch of Abstergo that is making video games based on the shit that you've learned from sure. the stuff that they've found in the Animus. Very good. Yeah, like they're actively like repackaging all Super of meta. that stuff. Love it. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's it's pretty interesting. I'm like one of the few people that actually gives a shit about what's happening in the present yeah. day in the Assassin's Creed games. Uh, but yeah, the uh, yeah, Sophia's motiv- motivations there are just kind of blatantly eugenic yeah. and gross, and it's a little silly that she doesn't seem to realize that. But or, but then again, maybe she does, and she just thinks, and she thinks, oh, this is fine, but you're taking it one step too far, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> that could also be it. Uh, also, I will never, for, I will never, under any circumstances, forgive this. Uh, Christopher Columbus was a genocidal piece of trash <laughs> and would have absolutely been a Templar. <laughs> just our good friend Christopher Columbus will hide this. Yeah, he's trustworthy. Yeah. he'll take this to the New World and not rape and pillage. <sighs> yeah, like. Like Assassin's Creed does a lot of like this was 2016. This is month. Yeah, like we're all fucking aware. Like right. the whole like like we are well year we are years into people pushing for Indigenous Peoples Day at this yeah. point. Like everyone fucking knows us that Christopher Columbus fucking sucks. Like there's no reason to put him into this game this way or into this movie this way. I was about to ask who you would use instead, but I'll get to it. You'll get to it. <laughs> And one last thing that I feel like didn't work with the story, uh, the bleeding effect takes hold entirely too quickly. Yeah, I felt that. Like, like, I've never liter- even played the game. Literally, the first time he's out, he comes out of the Animus, he sees that specter of Aguilar walking yeah. toward him. And it's like, my my guy, it took like an entire fucking game for Desmond to start having these yeah. kind of things happen to him. Like The moment at the end of Assassin's Creed 1 when you step out of the Animus and you can do eagle vision and, like, see secret writings on the wall of your room for the first time. It's like, holy fuck! I couldn't do that for, like, the first couple hours I've been playing this or whatever. Like, hmm. I would have liked, if they did have to rush it, which I can see why they would need to, maybe introduce it a little bit more subtly than he walks out of the shadow and tries to, to stab you. Yeah. Which, like, that in and of itself is a, is a very strange take on the bleeding effect as mm-hmm. it is. Because, like, the way it's been represented in the games in the past is, like, you, like, you'll see, like, echoes of things that your ancestors mm-hmm. do. But it's, like, but it's just like you're in the Animus, except, except like, disembodied. 
So like there are okay. moments where like Desmond would see Ezio just like kind of walk down the hall, and you can follow him and see huh. where he's going, and then you start kind of hallucinating that you're, like you're climbing the stuff that he's climbing and going to where he's going, and like you learn more about his character that way before you jump back in and continue with like yeah. his like his overarching story. That sounds interesting. It is interesting. Like they do some cool shit with it. It felt pretty hacky the way they did it in the movie. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. What about the production? That I didn't like? Yes. Oh, jeez. Uh, I, I really hated the editing, specifically. The uh, editing is probably the biggest thing that's just rough about this. Oh, God. Between, like, scenes going on way too long that, like, don't mean anything yeah. or, like, don't or like don't advance anything. Like, the first time that he goes into the Animus and they follow the eagle. Yeah. Like, which, like, eagles are a big fucking deal in Assassin's Creed. I understand why they did that. I, they, well, they did not explain that in the movie. They didn't. No, yeah, a, they didn't explain that in the fucking movie. And B, because I texted you about that bird. You did text me about that bird. It, it, like as soon as Jack started watching, he goes, "Fuck you! That bird's fake as shit." <laughs> and it was. So, but the, the, the first time he goes into the Animus, they follow the eagle, and it goes over this massive sweeping battle sequence where there's all these people fighting with pikes and spears and shit in the streets, and fires and explosions, yeah. and then it just keeps soaring over that and goes over a big wall, and then there's a whole bunch of countryside, and then you see Aguilar and the other assassins standing on a hillside, and yeah. nothing, nothing to do with what's happening back there. <laughs> Got to get where you're going. Got to get where you're going. Uh, for me, it was a lot of the action scenes. Yes, they had super choppy editing. The the evergreen Hollywood sin of just chopping fight sequences to ho- just to shreds. Yeah, to where like the motions are all confused and you can't track the movement. It takes away from the impact of things. Like they've learned nothing from Jackie Chan. Thinking back to. Batman Begins. It yeah. was really hard in that one to follow some of the action. Some of it, yeah. Uh, one, it was very dark. It was very dark. Um, That's true. And then the second and the third one, even though it was awful, they learned their <laughs> their lesson. They're like, okay, well, we we need to make it chaotic at moments, but also so that they can follow what the fuck is happening. Yes. Because they, they were, like, breaking the 180 while also cutting around the same punch. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, they did. They definitely broke the 180 rule a couple of times. That it That's so frustrating. I, like I was watching American Horror Story. <laughs> I hate their editing. I yeah. I, I could tell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, I think like, you mentioned earlier that, like, it, it suffers. It causes some of the stunt scenes to really suffer yeah. as well. Because on the one hand, like, like there's already cuts that they that – they, have chosen to do to emphasize the embodied experience of Cal performing these actions in the animus in the mm-hmm. present day, while also like keeping that continuity going with what's happening in the past, which is interesting. But if anything, that I feel like that means you need to be really fucking stingy with the rest of the cuts you're adding to these sequences. Cause like you're already kind of breaking the flow or like, yeah, well, jumping back and forth between the present and the past during a fight mm-hmm. took me out. I'm yeah, like the the at this moment, even though there are actually no art, are no stakes at that moment because we it's history. Yeah, and it's happened. I care about the uh, the parkour. That is the focus. That is where the stakes are. Not him and, strapped to a crane. And the actual filming of the parkour is subpar. Yeah. 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 They really didn't. I don't think. They knew how to. 
No, no, I, I'd agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. There's a one moment in particular that really like struck me as like a huge missed opportunity. And it's the moment where, um, before they get to the leap of faith, yeah. when they're running away and they're like run through that one building and they jump back out through the window to the, to, like latch onto the side of the next building and mm-hmm. climb up that transition out of that window to the next building it was a huge missed opportunity for like a really yeah. cool tracking shot that could have been just gorgeous, but it, it 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 didn't work. Do you recall the? And I'm sure they didn't have the budget. That this movie did. Uh, the movie had a hundred and twenty five million dollar budget. Casino Royale. Yeah. The parkour sequence in that, where I don't remember that. It's actually, really good. Um, it's the first time we really see Daniel Craig's Bond do something actiony. Oh man! Uh, and they're running through a construction site, and I think the actor that he's chasing is a is a person who does parkour. Nice. But the way they film it, you're you feel like you're there with them. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to watch that it's again. Really it's been years since I've seen Casino Royale. Uh, see, and that's the thing is like when you shoot that stuff well, mm-hmm. it comes across. Yeah, like cool. you can tell when it's shot well. And this didn't feel like it was shot well at any point during these action sequences. Yeah. And also, I'd argue it, it, it at some point during the fight sequences, it's almost silly. Like the very first fight sequence, whenever they when uh you know, when they when he first goes into the animus. Mm-hmm. You see, like, these cuts of all these assassins walking up like they're about to start the fight. And they've got, like, giant glaives and axes and shit on their backs. It's like, you are conspicuous as fuck. (laughs) That crowd is not thick enough for you to just, like, saunter up armed to the teeth like that. And no one notice you. Like, somebody's going to be like, um, hey. There's some guys over there. Pardon me. We need you out of (laughs) here, like, right fucking now. Like, I also could have done a little less lens flare. Yeah, yeah, there was some extraneous Michael. lens flare here and there. Like, not J.J. Abrams lens flare, but, like, it, uh, too much lens flare. It was when Fastbender was attached to the crane. They just, like, blasted us with lens flare. Oh, yeah, when all, like, the spotlights yeah. all turn on and everything, which, like, like yeah, like, the fir- like, doing that, doing that like, once to yeah, establish, like, the fine. spectacle of it, that's fine. They did it so many times, though. Yeah. Personally, I feel like they could have used more blood. I know it's a PG-13 movie, but people are actively being stabbed to death in this film. Uh, and Justin Kurzel agrees with me on this. Actually, he 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 had said that like oh man, there are some scenes where like just like a little spray of blood would yeah. add so much to this. But like he had to hold back. It's PG-13, uh, which personally I think is a mistake. The games are rated M for mature, if I'm not mistaken. So like why not lean into the hard R with this? But uh, and the other thing I had marked here, if I hear the word apple or manzana one more <laughs> fucking time, because they, they, they yeah. mention the apple of Eden constantly. Yes. It's like, the only thing anyone talks about, because, you know, it is your like MacGuffin kind of thing. Like, it is, it, it's very important to the story, but they don't ever actually show you what the fuck it does. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, you have no idea. No one who watched this movie has any idea if they haven't played the games problem it's a bit of a problem yeah but you're gonna fix it right we'll get to it okay what about themes <sighs> themes are a thing that i think we're in this movie i think they bungled the control angle you, bung- you think they bungled I th- the control I think, angle I think they fucked it up yeah why, why do you think that um because words <laughs> <laughs> my brain's a little gooey that's fair. um <laughs> i wrote eugenics yeah i mean that's not great 
not, it's not great. I mean, it's pretty it, bad. It would have been fine as a theme if they had said like, "Hey, this is a this is bad." I mean, given like it makes sense for Abstergo to engage in that kind of shit because of who, like how they are as a as a, an entity. Yeah, it is like that is like like the the most thorough way for them to achieve the goals that they that they want to achieve mm-hmm. in terms of like controlling and pacifying the populace. I think they needed to make Marion Coltyard's character a little bit more obviously a villain if they wanted to, you know. Yeah, they uh, it, it's it's like, I, on the one hand I kind of agree with you on that, but on the other hand like I like the, I like the sympathetic angle that she has up until she loses it at the end. Like I, I, I liked the way that her journey plays out, and she was definitely going to, clearly was going to end up being a more like a more thorough villain in a sequel. But yeah, that would have helped. Yeah, it's, it's like I'm torn between like wanting her to be more of a villain and liking her arc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do eugenics, guys. Don't do eugenics. Just in general, don't don't. don't. Do it. Hey, that's bad. Don't do that. All right, I think. Uh, I think that does it for episode one. I think you're right. Yeah. So where can they they find us? Oh yeah, I guess I still do this part, <laughs> yeah. huh? So thank you for uh, for watching. Thank you for listening. Uh, for following along with us here for part one of Assassin's Creed. Uh, definitely check us out for part two. We're going to get into some more of the nitty gritty of the scientific stuff with Assassin's Creed and genetic memory, and uh, into some uh, some of the the weirder aspects of these games nice. uh, before we actually fix this movie. Uh, so if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter at DerazzledPod, on Facebook at DerazzledPodcast, on Instagram and TikTok at Derazzled underscore podcast. You can email us at DerazzledPodcast at gmail.com uh, with any suggestions for things you'd like to see us cover, any uh, suggestions for stuff you'd like to see pop up in our Redbubble merch store, or if you have any questions about the Bad Film Festival that we're putting on that we mentioned yes. last episode. So uh, please send some some questions our way. We want to see some interest there. Uh, and um, what other biblical fruit do you enjoy? Um, I like pomegranates. Those are good. Yeah, the app, mm-hmm. I think, I think the... Uh, uh, I did forget to mention one thing. If, if you like this episode, please rate and review everywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Stitcher, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, wherever you listen. Please, if you like this episode, we would that would mean so much to us if you would uh, rate and review. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite biblical banana? Fruit? Banana? Banana? Yeah. Banana. Well, I like bananas. I do. I do like a good banana. Yeah, yeah it's a good. Ba- good ba- banana is a good fruit. Didn't know it was biblical. Do you remember fruit. that part during the Last Supper where Jesus was like? Take this banana. <laughs> Take this banana. May thy may may thee split it and yeah. share it with thine friends with some whipped cream. Yeah, that was part. That's part of the Bible, right? I was a Catholic. <laughs> be sure to check us out next time, where we'll be sure to so razzle dazzle you. <laughs>